morning. Welcome to Next Community Church. If you're a guest or a visitor, first time here, welcome. We're so, we're so pleased that you're here. My name's Joe, one of the pastors, and on behalf of everybody here that calls Next Home, we say welcome. We pray that you'll be blessed. Welcome to those of you joining us at home as well. Pray that you'll be blessed. We uh, continue on in our story series as we are discovering what an amazing gift God has given us in his word. My prayer is that it is shaping you and changing you and impacting you, that as you sit with the author of this book every day, that's our prayer, that is our challenge, that you would spend time in this book and in this book, and this book would give you things to write down in this book. As you meet with God, he's going to speak to your heart that it would begin to change you and shape you, and every week we're having Somebody share this little segment we call My Bible and Me. I'm going to welcome Sandy Rogers to come on up. She was one of the first people I thought of to say, I know Sandy is a woman of the word. So, Sandy, please come share in the way the Bible shaped your life. Thank you. Good morning. I am so blessed that Joe asked me to do this, and I'm very excited. Um, so I'll start my journey back around 2007. I began to get in the Word more often at that time. Although I was a Christian at that time, I was still very lost, lost in my own flesh. The woman you see standing here today is a completely changed person from who I was then. There are so many ways that being in the Word of God regularly, memorizing Scripture, and just spending time reading my Bible and talking to God um, has changed me, but I think I can summarize them in three ways that kind of intertwine with each other. Conviction, construction of new thought patterns, and confidence. During the time from 2007 to 2012, God did a huge work in me during those five years, and he mainly did this through my spending time with him, fiercely grasping onto every word he had for me. I was in an abusive marriage, and I had to learn how to navigate this difficult situation and trust him through those difficulties. Instead of trying to please man, God convicted me and he strengthened me to do what was right in his eyes. And I learned how to do that in truth and in love. Having been put down, degraded, um, just feeling completely lost with no identity, memorizing scripture renewed my, renewed my mind and rewired my mind and God showed me my worth as his daughter. That became my confidence. Not in my abilities, not in my roles, not in what I do, but just because I'm his. Hebrews 10, 35 to 36 says, So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. That was one of many verses that I memorized. I made note cards. I would sit every morning and write out verses and just read them and recite them throughout the day. And I would even categorize them on the back. Sin, pain, healing, mourning, joy. Um, so I have them to resort to and I still have them to this day. I even memorized whole passages like Psalm 139, Psalm 23, and Isaiah 55. Every morning I would sit with Jesus and just cling to him and his word. 
The result was that he would always be right in the place when I needed him most, the source of my courage, the source of my strength, and always whispering to me, I am right here. Through every instance he helped me walk through, my faith, my spiritual muscles grew, and the amazing thing is that the Lord showed me exactly what the Bible says, that the Word of God is living and active. He did things, I would experience things exactly as the Bible says. For example, before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely, from Psalm 139.4. To this day, I still recite scripture. I need reminders of truth. Like Joe says, I need to step back into reality. The truth is, his word is the best medicine for any hurt, any doubt, and any difficulty. And he always comes through on his promises. Today, I have a wonderful godly husband who treats me amazing. He treats me just the way Jesus would have him treat me. And um, one of the biggest blessings he's given me, I have peace, I have joy, and I have confidence because I know God, and I know him to be true, and I have hope, and that is what the word of God means to me. I remember 10 years ago, 2012, when, when your, your terrible situation was kind of coming to a climax, and, um, and I remember talking with you and you just holding on to the word, and, and, and I, I remember you saying, this is the only way I'm surviving, the only way I'm surviving, holding on to the word, and so it's a living book, and when you open it, the God of the book shows up and meets with you, and so we are doing a 30,000-foot fly overview of the Bible. We want, want you to see the, the story of God. It's really, it's really one book, 66 chapters. And the author of the book uh, has a theme. And, and, he, and, and uh, we want you to see that. And so um, this is why we're doing the series. This is why um, we have invested in this beautiful smart board to help you understand the flow so that when I say Daniel, the book of Daniel, you're like, oh, I know instantly where that is and the context in which that book takes place. Or when we talk about something in the New Testament or Israel in the Old Testament or today when I talk about the period in Israel's history when it goes to a divided kingdom, you know exactly what we're talking about and how that part of scripture applies to you today. And so we left off last week um, talking about they got into the promised land. Um, Joshua crossed them over into the promised land. And, and then there was a period of, of, of judges leading for about 300 years. And Israel kind of went through this cycle uh, of, of doing well and then getting comfortable and drifting away from God. God would raise up a foreign oppressor who would come in and come and uh, attack Israel. Israel would cry out to God, help us. They would repent of their sin. We'll come back to you. Uh, God would relieve them, raise up this judge, and, and, and then that cycle continued for like 300 years. Not a great time in Israel's history, and it's not going to get better as we see. They're going to end up um, looking around at the different nations that were around them and, and say, well, we want to be like them. We, we want a king. And, um, and we're, we're moving. It's a sad day, really, in Israel's history. There, Israel's going to move from a theocracy, where it's God as their king, 
to a monarchy where they have a man as a king. What a trade. You can have God as king or a man. What do you want? Israel said, we want the man. And, and so God said, all right, I'll give you a king. And, and that's where we come next is the period of, of kings in the Bible. And the first king, whoops, all right, let's try to start over again. The first king that God gives to Israel, his name was Saul. I don't want to write in red. You'd think by week four I'd have it figured out. And you figured wrong. All right, here we go. Is that Saul was the first king. And, and, and Saul, and this, in, in your Bibles, okay, this is the period of time. Let me make this just a little thicker. This is the period of time. Um, this is 1 Samuel in your Bible, okay? We, we're, we're done with Judges, the, and then we go into a, a time of, oh, let me come back here to Judges. The, the, the book of Ruth, the little four-chapter book of Ruth, takes place during a time of Judges. What an amazing little story of, of, uh, of this, this widow who um, stays with her mother-in-law, comes into Israel's land, and meets a guy named Boaz, who acts as a yet another type of Christ, who is going to redeem her and provide for her and protect her and end up marrying her, and they up and having a kid. And, and that kid has a kid, and that kid has a kid, and his name is David. And it ends up, which this story of Ruth ends up leading down the line of, to Jesus. And so amazing story there. First Samuel is the story of the rise of King Saul. Um, Saul lasted 40 years in Israel's history. Israel had three kings before things went really sideways. Saul reigned 40 years, started good, and then went bad. And then God said, you're done being king. I'm going to anoint a second king and anointed a guy by the name of David. So it goes from Saul to David. David reigned for 40 years. David had moments of sheer stupidity and moments of just sweet love for God, tenderness, heart for God, so much so God called him a man after his own heart. And and so... um, uh, th- this starts to take place now in the book of 2 Samuel. It starts to tell the story of David. David ends up having an affair with Bathsheba and ends up having a son who then will become king after David reigns 40 years. And his name is Solomon. Solomon would reign also for 40 years. And... Um, before we move on, let me tell you a little bit. Let's go back to David a little bit. David wrote most of the Psalms. So the book of Bible, uh, the book of Psalms in your Bible was mostly written, written by David. Um, God also made a very special promise to David, another covenant. We saw one covenant way back here that God made with Abraham. That God made a covenant and said, I'm going I'm to give you land, I'm going to make a nation out of you, and I'm going to bless you. That's called the Abrahamic covenant. And now, God is going to make a second covenant with David. It's called the Davidic covenant. And it's, it's found in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Let me read it to you. It says this, The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. When your time comes and you rest with your fathers, 
I will raise up after you your descendant, that's Solomon, I'm going to raise up your descendant who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, literally. Solomon is the one that constructed the temple. Up to this point, they were using the the temporary tabernacle that Moses was was using. And so now God says, listen, we're here. We're in the land. It's time for a permanent house. And so we're going to build the house. That's what Solomon, Solomon ended up building the temple. But even more than that, I want you to see this. He is the one who will build a house for my, my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. In other words... Someone in the line of David, someone in the line of you and your son will will be on the throne forever. Now, is that happening? It's not. Actually, after Solomon, we're going to see it go sideways real fast. But you need to understand, and we're going to get into this here in a little bit, that this is a prophetic declaration about a future person in the name of Jesus. A future king that would come and, and reign on a throne forever, right? Now, here's the thing, and you got to see this. This will help you understand the Old Testament. That's a throne, if you can't tell. That, to help you understand the Old Testament. So they're looking for their king who's going to come and, and, and reestablish it. I'm, I'm fast-forwarding here. We're fast-forwarding to the time of Jesus. And so Jesus comes and, and they're waiting for their king. God made a promise to their father, David, that he would sit on the throne forever. And, 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 and Jesus doesn't act very kingly. He's, he doesn't come in. He doesn't conquer. He says things that are weird. We've talked about this, like turn the other cheek and kind of the first shall be last. And, 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 and then he actually gives up his own life. And like, well, I, I guess he wasn't the king. But and if you remember the book of Daniel we, a year ago, this, this idea of Jesus being king isn't, isn't, wasn't his first coming. By the way, now we're living in this period of time called the church age. If you extend this line, which I think I can, all right, if we extend this line, who knows when this is going to be. But sometime later, when Jesus comes back, he's going to come back not on a donkey. He's coming back on what? A white horse, and he's going to be a conquering king, and he's going to set up his kingdom. He's going to reign from a rebuilt temple in Israel, in Jerusalem. He's going to come back, and he's going to reign for this period of time called a thousand-year millennium, right? And so we talked about that in, in Daniel. This is all in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, when Jesus comes back and he reigns as king. And so that promise, listen, when God makes a promise, it's true. It's going to happen. And so Jesus will return and fulfill this promise that God made to David. It's just, it's just not, it's, it's, it's a ways from now. We don't know when. My opinion, it sure feels like we're running there pretty fast. It sure feels like you start reading. We'll talk about this in months to come. There's definitely, Jesus said you won't know the time, you won't know the date, but he said you'll know the season. You'll know the seasons when these end time things begin happening. That's my symbol for end time things. Well, when, the, when those things begin happening, you'll, you'll know. And, and so it sure feels like we're kind of, it feels like we're running there actually. And so 
Um, so that's, that's when it's like, yeah, Jesus, please come back. Save us, right, from all of this. Amen. And so back to the Old Testament. So Saul reigned 40 years. David reigned 40 years. Solomon reigned 40 years. Solomon asked for wisdom. God gave it to him. And God began to bless Israel through Solomon's reign, expanded their borders and their territory. But Solomon got greedy, and he began to take wife after wife after wife after wife of all the different nations around him to try and make political alliances and expand the territory even more. And he didn't just take a few wives. He took hundreds of them. Um, a thousand wives and concubines, when you put them all together, he had a, had a problem. He could have used our Conquer series, men. And so, <laughs> shame it wasn't around back then. And so, um, and so God said, um, um, the kingdom will be torn from you. And this begins a time in Israel's history that is now what is called the divided kingdom. The, it breaks into two. And you end up having ten tribes that go to the north, okay? Um, by the way, they were broken up during Judges, or excuse me, actually it was Joshua. Before Joshua died, he divided up the land. They're in the promised land. He divided up the land. You guys get this part from the 12 tribes, and, and that's how they divide up. And that's, that became kind of the way they marked themselves. And so now, here we are, uh, 400 years later, and, and the tribes say 10 of them go to the north of Israel. They become known as Israel. That becomes their name, Israel, okay? Let me um, move all this because this is not the scale if you haven't figured it out yet, all right? They become Israel. They end up having a capital um, they make up their own capital. They're like, Jerusalem's not our capital. We're going to make our own capital city. And their capital city is Samaria. That should sound familiar to you a little bit. What are people from Samaria called? Samaritans. We'll talk about that. That should sound a little bit. There's a story in the Bible in the New Testament about that, right? And you'll understand why that story is such a crazy story when you understand where it comes from. Two of the tribes went to the south. They became known as not Israel, they became known as Judah. And that was their name. And so you have this divided kingdom in Israel's history. And, 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 and by the way, their capital was Jerusalem. Okay? And, and each one of them began to have kings. These guys had their own king. These guys had their own king. These guys had their king and their king. They ended up with 20 each. And now, 20 kings here, 20 kings here. And now we're in the Bible of the period of time that is called, literally, kings. First kings and second kings. And talks about the different kings that rule Israel. And, 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 and the northern kingdom had 20 kings Guess how many of them ruled well? And meaning, leading God's people to follow God. Zero. Zero is right. They had no good kings. They were all, they did evil. They continued to make alliances with these foreign nations, continued to allow their people to intermarry and get pulled off into worshiping foreign gods. And, and so, uh, bad. 
southern kingdom, Judah, had 20 kings. They did a little better. They ended up having eight good kings and 12 bad. Okay? They did a little better. And so during this time of the kings, you see the beginning of a new role in the Bible, a new office in the Bible. It is the office of prophet. And, and so what God would do is raise up prophets. Prophets don't think future teller, think truth teller. That's what prophets were, is that they were mostly truth teller as Israel was doing horrible under these 20 bad kings, God would raise up these prophets to speak truth to them, call them to stop, call them to repent, return to God's word and God's ways. We're going the wrong way. And so in, in your Bible, if you remember, if you even look back at, at page four in your notes there, on page four, we gave you the bookcase of all the Old Testament books. The prophets are divided into Two categories, major prophets, and it's only called major because of the size of their book. They're longer. And minor prophets, there's 12 of them, and they're only called minor because they're smaller in length, not because of importance, the size, right? And so um, these kingdoms had different prophets. I'm not going to put all, there's five major and 12 minor, 17. I'm not going to put them all on the board, but I'll put some on the board so you can see how they fit in. And so um, the first prophet, and anybody, uh, besides Scott, anybody, you already gave it good answers. Anybody else? First prophet in the Old Testament that prophesies to Israel. His name, he went up in a whirlwind. In a, Elijah. I think Karen's like real slow to answer now since I <laughs> called you out last week. Elijah, right? So uh, Elijah, the first prophet. Um, in, in Kings, we read about his story in, in Kings, and he went mostly against the northern kingdom's king. The guy's name was Ahab, and, and, and was leading Israel to false gods, and Ahab married a woman, and her name was Jezebel, right? And if you've ever heard that word used in a negative way, well, that comes from Ahab's wife Jezebel, who led Israel to uh, bow down to, to Baal, the false pagan god of Baal. And one of my favorite stories happens in the Bible, 1 Kings chapter 18, where Elijah sets up this challenge and on, on Mount Carmel. When we went to Israel, we visited Mount Carmel where this whole thing went down. And had the, the, you guys call down to Baal and have him send fire, and I'll ask God of Israel to send fire. Right? That's, that was Elijah to, to, to Ahab and, and the, false, uh, the false prophets that he had. And so um, Elijah, after Elijah, he hands it off to a guy called Elisha. And Elisha continued where he was, right? And so you have all these different prophets that are speaking. Some were prophets to the northern kingdom and some were prophets to the southern kingdom. Um, you get yourself a good study Bible and they will tell you in the study Bible as you're going to open up to the book of uh, Isaiah, where did Isaiah prophesy to? Well, and I'll tell you, because Isaiah is a big one. He was to the southern kingdom. Isaiah was to the southern kingdom. Prophesied uh, around 700 B.C., right? And so um, you, you read through, and you'll see where they all prophesied to. Now, let me extend this line. 20 bad kings, prophets coming, saying, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. They don't stop it. 
And so God raises up a foreign oppressor, the nation of Assyria, the Assyrian kingdom, and comes in and 722 destroys the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom ceases to exist. And here's what they do. The Assyrians come in and end up deporting them back to their land, leave some, some of the poor, um, some of the not well-to-do, leave them there in Samaria. And then what the Assyrian king does is he ends up bringing people from the other pagan nations out here that he's over. He brings them in and imports them into the northern kingdom so that they would intermarry. In other words, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do away with this northern tribe. I'm going to just kind of interbreed them, so to speak, so that we do away with them. And that is why you fast forward some thousand years later or 700 some years later, and you get to the New Testament, and why do the Jews hate the Samaritans? Because they were considered half-breeds, because 700 years earlier, they ended up intermarrying with these other nations that the Assyrian kingdom brought in. As a matter of fact, they even ended up setting up their own they ended up setting up their own temple, right? Their own temple that they bowed down and they worshiped. Jerusalem, you have your temple, we're building our temple, right? And they ended up fighting and attacking these guys. And so there was, you want to talk about animosity between two groups of people. That, that's what, so when, you, when Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, that is the most unlikely hero in the story. It'd be like telling a, a story of a Philadelphia Eagle fan who's kind of beat up on the side of the road, and this Dallas Cowboy fan comes along and helps him. You're like, there's no way that would happen. But that's, that's exactly like, we would get it. We'd be like, that's crazy talk. That's exactly, the, that's the Good Samaritan story, right? And so... Um, why? Because back here, it all started with this division in the land and division over the right temple and all this. Um, these guys had good kings, so they lasted longer. And they ended up lasting until 586. Now, if you were here a year ago, right at this time, we were starting a series in Daniel. And in, in the book of Daniel, God predicted all of this was going to happen and, and gave, gave Daniel visions of kingdoms that were to come and the timeline that was to come. I'm going to show you again. I'm going to remind you of it in just a second. Um, but I want, to, I want to go back. I wanted, I, I wanted to highlight another, uh, another prophet. We know his story. His name is Jonah. You know the story of Jonah, right? Like, oh, yeah, that's a kid's tale. No, it, it, about the, the guy and the fish. and No, not a kid's tale. Not according to Jesus. Jesus said it really happened. And, and, and you're like, let me give you the context of Jonah so that you can kind of see. Jonah's one of those minor prophets, one of those 12. And, and God tells Jonah, right, hey, not only are, am I concerned about my people, but I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to tell Nineveh about about God. I want you to tell them about me. Nineveh was out here. As a matter of fact, just so you can see, um, let me get rid of this. All right. 
Can you all see that? Okay. So here's Israel. Oops. Well, I won't stop it. There we go. Okay. Oh, that's too thick. Oh, my gosh. All right. Let's try this again, friends. Okay, so here's Israel. All right, right down here. Okay. This is the Persian kingdom. Um, uh, here's the, uh, Assyria. Um, see this? Oops. Let's go back and stop it. Okay. Here's Nineveh. Okay. That's where God told Jonah to go. Okay, um, what did Jonah do? Jonah, uh, he was in the, by the way, he was in the northern kingdom. Okay, Jonah was in the northern kingdom. He had to come down here to, uh, to Joppa, which is a seaport, right? That's where, uh, if you ever go to Israel, you'll go to Joppa, you'll visit. He gets on a boat and starts to try and sail for Tarshish, which is, 2,000 miles the other way. It's off the map. They believe it's up by Spain. And, and so it's Jonah basically telling God a big no, right? He, God told them to go north and west, and Jonah went south and east. I mean, you couldn't get any more of the opposite direction. And, and, and the book of Jonah is another type of Christ. And Jesus, I believe it's Matthew chapter 12, Jesus said, just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the earth for three days and three nights. It's a picture, a foreshadowing of, of, of one who, was, who would not run from his mission, who would accept the plan, the directions of the Father, and who would ultimately go to the cross Right? Who, who would then spend three days. And, and so I, I'm telling you, there's so much rich imagery and foreshadowing in the Old Testament, right? Of, of uh, um, uh, uh, Susa. I want you to notice Susa down here because we'll, I probably won't come back to it because I'm struggling with this board this morning. Um, but I want you just to notice it down here. Uh, the book of Esther happens in Susa, okay? Um, during a time when the Persian kingdom, I'll show you when the Persian kingdom comes in, is, is in charge, right? The book of Esther happens down here in Susa. Here's Babylon, right? That's where we're going to pick right up because the Babylonian empire is the one that God is going to use <clears throat> to kind of discipline Israel, his people, okay? And so... <clears throat> Here we are. The northern kingdom is destroyed. The southern kingdom carries on. I'm going to put it up here because what ends up happening now is God raises up the Babylonian empire. And the Babylonian empire comes in and ends up deporting people okay, down to Babylon. <clears throat> ends up putting them away in a period of time that's called the exile. And they end up living down in Babylon for 70 years. God told them this was going to happen if they didn't stop. You know how God told them? Back here, he had a prophet named Jeremiah. 
Jeremiah foresaw this was what was going to happen. And Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. His heart was broken that his own people, his own nation, are turning their backs on God and that they would be carried away into exile. And so it's believed that Jeremiah also wrote the book of Lamentations. Lamentations means to lament. And so Lamentations is just him anguishing over what's being done, and yet God is still faithful because God is going to continue to work through a remnant that do stay with him. By the way, back here, I missed, I missed Solomon. All right? If you go back in your notes, David, I said, wrote Psalms. Solomon, the wisest man ever, wrote most of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs in her Bible. Solomon wrote that. Also wrote the book Song of Solomon, which is a a beautiful depiction of love between a husband and a wife. This guy had some experience in that area, and so he could write that. Um, and, And then he also wrote the book Ecclesiastes, right, which is the book of where it's just kind of like, you know, there's nothing new under the sun and everything is meaningless. It's coming from Solomon, the king, who had it all and who at the end realized it doesn't matter, all of this, all that, it doesn't matter, everything, it's all meaningless. There's nothing new under the sun, right? So that was, that was Solomon. That's how those books of the Bible fit in there. And so now, here we are. They're deported into Babylon, 70 years in exile. There's a guy that God raises up there. We studied him last year. This whole story takes place there. What's, what was his name? This is where Daniel takes place. The book of Daniel is... Him in exile underneath King Nebuchadnezzar, right? The book of Ezekiel in your Bible is going to take place there. God gives Daniel a dream, or actually gives the king a dream. You remember this last year? Gives the king a dream, calls the people together, and says, not tell me what this dream means. Remember what the king says? He says, I had a dream. Tell me what I dreamed. And they're like, nobody can do that. We can tell us the dream, we'll tell you what it means. No, 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 tell me the dream. And God gives Daniel the ability to have this dream. And, and you remember what it was? Let me help jog your memory. If you were here, if you were here last year, you remember this guy? All right? God gave him the dream of this statue. Of, of, of a head of gold, of a, a chest breastplate of silver, thighs of brass, legs of iron, and they represented the coming kingdoms that were going to come and lead up to the time of Christ. And so, um, and, and, it, and it happened exactly like God said it was going to happen. The Babylonian Empire ruled for about 150 years or so, and then next thing you know, the Medes and the Persians raise up, okay? So let me get rid of this guy. The reason why I'm going to show you this is because when the Persians come over and and take over, they say to the Jewish people that are living over here, you can go home. Go home and return. Return to your land. And so they end up making three returns. One guy, he's got a funny name. His name was, I'm not going to even try to spell it, Zerubbabel, his name. He leads people back to Israel and starts rebuilding the temple. 
A second guy leads people back. His name was Ezra. We have that book in the Bible. He was a priest. He leads people back and starts, now remember, where did they just live for 70 years? Some pagan nation. The whole generation has lost the ways of God. Zerubbabel leads them back, start rebuilding the temple. Ezra leads them back, start reminding the people of the law. And now there's a third guy that leads people back. There's a book in the Bible named after him. What's his name? Nehemiah. He leads people back. And, he's, and they're all like, this place is, the walls are on. And so he leads an effort to rebuild the walls, right? And so that takes place approximately 444 B.C., the story of, of Nehemiah being back in the promised land. Wouldn't you know it? They're back in the promised land. Oh, we're back home. And what do you think happens as they're back home? Spiritually start doing well. Spiritually start getting lazy. How many vote for option one? How many vote for option two? It's exactly what ends up happening, right? They, they end up doing bad, and God raises up three more prophets, okay? He raises up the prophet, um, I'm blanking out right now. The last one is Micah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, or Malachi, the Italian prophet. and they end up doing the same thing come on come on Israel (laughs) Malachi gives a prophetic word through God and we'll close with this let me have the worship team come Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 this is God that says see I'm going to send my messenger And he will clear the way before me. Now, we know how the story goes. We know who Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 is talking about. A messenger that is going to come to prepare the way. His name ended up being John the Baptist. Right? But again, this is is Malachi is is around 430 B.C. I mean, like as old as our nation is here, right? Um, Older. And so just to put it in length of time, I'm going to send my messenger. He will clear the way before me. If you guys could leave this board just for one second. I know it's going to mess you up. It's okay, just for one second. Then the Lord will seek. uh, Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Then Jesus will show up. The messenger of the covenant you delight in. See, he is coming, says the Lord of armies. Another one of the names of God. Right? And so you enter into this period of time that is known in Israel as the 400 silent years. Where there was no prophetic voice. There was no word of the Lord being spoken to Israel. It was kind of like this long pause. Waiting for the Messiah, the king, to show up for her people. Only they would miss him, reject him, end up killing him. All part of God's plan. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. And so, um, 
That's, that's, that was just a thousand years of Israel's history. And um, as I prayed about and thought about, what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Here's, here's, here's what I think we do with that. You, you, you can do with it. Ask God, what's he speaking to you? Here's what I think he's speaking to us. Is that God has shared with us his purposes, his plans, and his truth. And, 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 and now we live in a period of time where God's people here on earth, the way he's working, is, is not through Israel right now. Israel abandoned her responsibility. And God started a new thing in the New Testament called the church. Unless you're Jewish in here, it, it, you're, not, you're not part of Israel. You're part of this thing called the church. Now, the Apostle Paul talks about how, well, the church is actually grafted in as part of God's people. You don't become Jewish. You don't become Israel. What you become is part of God's people, part of God's redemptive plan here on earth. And, and I feel like now is such a unique time in our, in our world. Isn't it? Aren't we in a weird time right now? And I feel like as the people of God, now, more than ever, it is so imperative for us as the church. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is the body of Christ, the hands and feet here on earth, that we be about the things that God has called us to be. I, I don't, this is my opinion, I don't think there's a ton of time to just play games and like kind of just build our kingdom. The king is coming back. And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not putting a date on it. I don't know when. I really don't. But it sure feels like there's, man, the, 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 the checkers are all on the board. It seems like it's just God getting ready to move things around. And so it's, it's kind of time for us as a church to really pause, really evaluate, say, if time is short, do we have a sense of urgency to be the church that God's called us to be? I don't know about you. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to be like Israel, end up getting put in exile, put on a timeout. Like, like, let's be the people that God's called us to be. So I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And, and What do you do with that? God, what do you want me to do with that? Pray that you would ask God that he'd show you. What does it mean to be the people of God right now? Not go through the motions of going to church, or being a Christian, or just being kind of good. What does it mean to be all in? What does it mean for us to rise up now and be the church that God's called us to be? God, I, I think of your continued patience and, and grace and your plan. God, I think a, a big part of us getting in heaven is looking back over the world's history and what you've done and just have our eyes and ears and mind just blown away by you did that and then that and that meant that. And God, even just seeing just little snippets of the Old Testament, how it ties in. The new, God, all that you're doing, you're in control of all this. This is not our home. And so, God, I pray that we would live with an eternal perspective. We pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Let's stand together, church.